1: Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now,
0: your host, Al Fadi. Um, This is Al Fadi. I'd like to welcome you to our podcast, Let Us Reason. And uh, today's podcast is going to be special because we are live streaming it as I speak to you, also on Facebook at my uh, Facebook page, alfadi.sira, and on our YouTube channel, Sira International. So welcome to all of you, whether you are watching us live right now or those who will be listening to this podcast. Of course, you can always go to our website, sirainternational.com. To listen to any previous podcast, we are into our sixth year already in terms of the podcast itself. Today's topic will deal with the signs of the coming of the Son of Man, and it will come out of a chapter in a new book released uh, recently, and the author is our dear brother, Joel Richardson, who is with me here in studio, and the book is called From Sinai to Zion, and obviously it's speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. Brother... Thank you so much. It's been exciting. Why don't you tell people briefly about the uh, series that we have done so far? So, you know, kind of, you know, get them excited a little bit.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, it was great. We just did several episodes on biblical prophecy in the Middle East. Correct. And, you know, we kind of, we hit on a lot of, um, we did a lot of good overview, but we actually sort of hunkered down to some important passages, Daniel 2, Daniel 11, Ezekiel 38, 39, Battle of Magog. We covered a lot of stuff. Um, But what I liked so much was that we ended on a really positive note, and we highlighted Isaiah 19, Isaiah 60, and some prophecies that speak of some really awesome stuff, some revivals, in fact, in the Middle East. And so it was a bit different than what you usually hear with discussions about Bible prophecy in the Middle East.
0: Absolutely. And I just want you really, folks, when you watch uh, this series, which we call Bible prophecy uh, in the uh, the Middle East, I should say, uh, come in with an open mind because uh, you may come in uh, with uh, preconceived ideas and you think we're just repeating the same mantra. You'll be surprised. There there are some, some things that uh, Joel kind of like presented in a convincing way to challenge some of those traditional views. And again... We're using the Bible. We're not giving our opinion over things. Now, I want to welcome all of you here. I want to welcome our moderators. I want to remind you to please write your questions. And if possible, put at CIRA or at CIRA International front of it to make it easier for us. Thank you, of course, for being here with us. And uh, I want to remind you also to uh, consider becoming a Patreon patron uh, in our YouTube channel. Uh, yesterday, a few of you have responded to our campaign to raise 100 patrons. We have four so far. We're down basically by four. We uh, need 96, I should say, uh, more supporters, more partners. And obviously, we leave the decision about how much you can afford up to you. We're not here to give you specific amounts. We believe the Lord will always bring, uh, you know, whatever is needed to cover our expenses, to produce videos like this, to stay on the air and take care of ministry affairs. Of course, we encourage you to become a subscriber to our YouTube channel, Sierra International. With that said, I also want to encourage you to go to Joel's website called joelstrumpet.com, where you are going to find many of his books that he has already authored. You have the information right here in front of you on the screen. Again, we are going to uh, look at your comments periodically, and I'll talk also about a couple of exciting things uh, you know, throughout the first part and the second part as well. Uh, okay, brother, so when we talk about, um, uh, for, first of all, give an overview about the new book. You know, I, I just want to be fair, and, and maybe uh, not, not, every, not everyone was here yesterday, so.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah no, in fact, I want to actually lay some foundation uh, before we get into the, specifically the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. That's the most exciting thing that I want to talk about, but um, essentially the book deals with um, a series of prophecies found throughout the Old Testament that are often overlooked as messianic prophecies that speak of the return of Jesus, and the reason they're often overlooked is because they speak of not a man coming back uh, to save Israel, but of Yahweh, God Almighty, coming back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they use language that is reflecting the Exodus, and so people often miss these. They go, "Well, this is just a, you know a drama over dramatization. It's sort of a flamboyant poetic description of the Exodus, um, but yet." During the Exodus, the Lord led Israel in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, but yet this prophecy describes him literally marching before his people. We go, we know he didn't really do that. Uh, It's just, again, overly dramatized poetry. Um, So what I discuss is these very important, often overlooked prophecies that fill in the details concerning the return of Jesus, helping us to understand the story of the return of Jesus, how it's framed, what it looks like and the picture that emerges is absolutely beautiful
0: wonderful so what are some of these signs that uh, we ought to be on the look for or at least um, you know examine biblically speaking about the return of the son of man
1: okay so let me actually let me back up a little bit i'm going to lay some some basic groundwork some some uh, foundations here and we've talked about this on some of the previous live streams and, but some of the folks here may not have caught this so essentially For a Jew, again, in ancient times, as the Bible, as the biblical canon was being revealed, I mean, even before the first century, um, the initial glimmer of hope. Was is first found in at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3, all the way back there in the garden. You have the Proto-Evangelion, which simply means the first gospel. Genesis 3.15, the fall had already taken place, and the Lord says to, he makes a declaration to the serpent, to Satan himself. He says, I'm going to put enmity, conflict between you and the woman, between her descendants and your descendants, between your seed and her seed. And then he says, He is going to crush your head. Okay, so again, it's in kernel form. It's in seed form. But the hope of the Messiah is introduced as the crushing one. This is the birth, the genesis of messianic hope. As we move forward within the the biblical narrative, as we move forward in time, we have other prophecies such as Numbers 24, the prophecy of Balaam, where Balaam reveals that the crushing one who's going to crush the head of Moab, he's going to destroy the sons of Sheth or the sons of Tumult, he says that a scepter will rise up out of Israel. A ruler will come forth from Israel and he will crush uh, the sons of Tumult and so forth. So now we learn that the crushing one is also the king of Israel. And so the Lord adds elements of this. So initially you have this thread of the crushing one, this prophetic theme of the crushing one. Then you have this prophetic theme of the king of Israel. Now they're interwoven. And once they're interwoven, you can't separate them. Moving forward, it's always understood that the coming one, the crushing one, the one that's going to destroy the works of Satan, that's going to destroy Satan himself, he's also going to be a king of Israel. But in the midst of all this, the common theme is that he is a seed of Eve. He is the seed of Abraham. He's the seed of Judah. He's the seed of David. The point there being, he's human. Okay, so when we get to Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Why do they devise and plot a vain thing? They rage against Yahweh, against the Lord and against his Messiah. That's the first time the term Messiah uh, is introduced into this prophetic thread. By the time that we get there, it's well established, it's well understood that he's a human. Okay, now you have this other thread of prophecies that begins with Deuteronomy 33, and these talk about Yahweh coming from heaven, Yahweh actually coming from Sinai, in glory, in radiant glory, and he is marching before his people, he's setting his people free, he's coming with myriads of his holy ones, okay? So we have Deuteronomy 33, we have other prophecies in this same vein, in the same tradition, we have Psalm 68, we have Habakkuk 3. It's not in the Bible, but it was an important book. We have First Enoch. We have Isaiah 35, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 63. We have Zechariah 9, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14. We have Jude in the New Testament. We have all of these references that describe God Almighty coming from heaven to save his people. So you have these two different seemingly contradictory threads One is a human is coming to save his people. The other is that God Almighty Yahweh is coming to save his people. It's in Daniel chapter 7. It's in Daniel chapter 7 that the Lord finally weaves these two threads together when he describes one like a son of man Mm -hmm. who is coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, the reason that's important is because any Old Testament literate Jew would have understood that only Yahweh rides on the clouds. No one else rides on the clouds. That's, that's, that's right. reserved for that's Yahweh right. alone. Amen. So we see this strange picture of someone that is in the form of a, he looks like a human, he's in the form of a human, he's an anthropomorphic form, but it's Yahweh. Okay? So now these two different prophetic traditions have been interwoven. Now here's the thing. The single most common term that Jesus used to describe himself far and above anything else is the Son of Man. Now, this is commonly misunderstood. A lot of people think he's just saying, I'm a human. That's not at all what he was saying. He was saying, I am the figure that was described. I'm the one that was described in Daniel chapter 7. I am the one who is both the crushing one, the Messiah, and I am Yahweh God Almighty who's going to come back to save you. So he was making a bold claim. Now, here's the thing. How do we know this? The Lord also refers to Ezekiel. He calls him son of man. Well, what's the difference? Because that, all that means is human. How do we know that what Jesus was saying was claiming to be Daniel 7? And here's how we know. Daniel 7 comes to us not in Hebrew. It comes to us in Aramaic. There are a few portions of the Bible that were revealed in Aramaic. The earliest manuscripts that we have are in Aramaic. There's a subtle difference between Aramaic and Hebrew. In Aramaic, Son of Man is Bar Anasha. Mm -hmm. Bar Anasha. In Hebrew, it's Ben-Adam. Here's how we know that Jesus called himself Bar Anasha and not Ben-Adam. Seventy-eight times throughout the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Way more than Messiah, Son of God, anything else, he calls himself the Son of Man. We know that he used the term Bar Anasha, not Ben-Adam in Hebrew, because when he said it, the... Authorities. They said, "We don't need to hear anything else. This man has uttered blasphemy. Away from him. Away with him."
0: Mark fourteen sixty one is an example where the high priest said that. Exactly. Yeah, and he ties it usually to Daniel 7 when he's talking that way.
1: Yeah. He, sa- he says essentially, from now on, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, he says, if you don't repent, you're going to be judged when I come back. He calls himself the Son of Man. And they go, we don't need to hear anything else. Right. Like, are all these charges of blasphemy that you claim to be Yahweh, awag- are they true? He wasn't trying to hide it at this point. Mm-hmm. He made it very mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. I am the one spoken of in Daniel 7. Yeah. So this is important. This is important for Muslims. This is important for Christians. This is important for Jews. Jews will deny, oh, you Christians, you believe in the Trinity. That's unbiblical. Hogwash. It was understood by those who understood the biblical narrative, who understood the promises that God made, that someone was coming who would both be born of a woman, but who also would come back in blazing fire with all of his angels from heaven as Yahweh God Almighty. The Old Testament makes that clear. That's not a New Testament concept. And Jesus himself said, I am that one. So we start out with that that concept, understanding what the Son of Man means, and then we can move on to the sign of the coming of the Son of Man.
0: And again, I want to thank everyone who is being here with us. Thank you to the moderators. And this is, by the way, not only a live stream, but it's also part of my podcast, Let Us Reason. So uh, in about probably uh, 10 minutes or so, we will wrap up part one of the podcast. We'll take about a minute break in between. Don't go anywhere stay here and then we'll come back and do part two as always uh, i encourage you to write your questions down and we see bilal uh, zairi basically is invoking the shahada which is the sign of shirk by the way uh, okay so i love the fact that people don't think don't use their brain they think muhammad is equal to their god which is idolatry And in the light of that, of course, we are talking about the true God who came in the flesh. So we worship one God, we don't worship two, a human and a fiction of somebody's imagination called Allah. All right. So with that said, I want to remind you, of course, folks, uh, that uh, you can always subscribe to my channel, Sierra International, if you haven't done so. Our YouTube channel, Sierra International. We're looking for more partners through Patreon. You can become a patron. We put, by the way, the Patreon link for everybody. Basically, it's just patreon.com forward slash Sierra International. And the topic that we are focusing on, even though we're giving you an overview of everything we've done so far, is specifically about the signs of the coming of the Son of Man or the signs of the Son of Man, which, by the way, I've just incidentally released a new series that I've done myself uh, under our apologetic series uh, showing you that the Son of Man of Daniel is divine and he's no other than our Lord Jesus Christ. We have released two episodes to date. Please send us your questions in relationship to this. So, brother, um, keep going. Okay, so specifically, when Jesus describes his own
1: return, he describes the cosmic signs. This is in the Olivet Discourse. It's basically his sermon on the end times that was given on the Mount of Olives. And he says, you'll see the cosmic signs. You know, these are, the sun will go dark, the moon will become like blood. And then he says, after that, he says, and then you will see the sign of the Son of Man in the sky. So what exactly is that? What exactly is that? In order to understand that, I want to back up, and I want to look at the story of the Exodus, okay? So we begin in Exodus chapter 13. Mm -hmm. We know that as the Lord was leading Israel through the desert, it says in verse 21, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, okay? So this is a very unusual manifestation, okay? Um, It's not just a single column, because in other places, it actually says it gave them shade during the day. So essentially, there was a pillar that got wide at the top. At times, it would move. It would get in between Israel and the Egyptians. But it would lead them, and most often it was, in the, it was very unusual. I mean, you know, I've seen funnel clouds, I've seen tornadoes, this type of thing. This was something completely different. It was both cloud and smoke and fire, and it moved and they followed it. Something absolutely unique in all of history. Mm-hmm. Now, in Exodus 14, we see that rather than referring to it as the pillar, the Bible calls it the angel of God. It actually calls the pillar itself the angel of God. Very unusual. It it essentially personifies the presence of this manifestation as saying it is an actual manifestation of God himself. And again, it was going in front of them and behind them. Uh, There's one point in chapter 14, verse 24, where it says the Lord looked down from the pillar. So it's like as if God himself was in the pillar on one hand, it's called the angel of the Lord. On another hand, God is in the pillar itself. Very strange. In Exodus 19, um, when the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, it says that he settled in the form of a thick cloud and blazing fire on the mountain. So at this is the, the pinnacle of, of God revealing himself before his people. In all of history, they were begging Moses, please tell him to stop talk. I mean, this was terrifying. They are trembling. He was present in the form of a cloud on the mountain. And it was, not just, it was not just a cloud, but smoke and fire, right? And then in Exodus 23, we have this really interesting statement. The Lord says, I'm gonna send an angel before you. So this is after they leave Sinai. They're making their way up through the desert toward Israel. And the Lord says, I'm going to send my angel. What he means is the pillar. But he calls it he calls the pillar an angel. And then he says this, be attentive to him and listen to him. There's an incredible parallel here, by the way. There's an echo of what we see much later, where a voice from heaven speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. It's a reflection of what we see here. He says, I'm going to send my angel before you be attentive to him and listen to him don't defy him because he will not, he will not forgive your acts of rebellion for my name is in him so here all the way back in the exodus we have a foreshadow of the trinity of the fact that god took on flesh we have a reflection of the incarnation look we agree with muslims that god almighty is in heaven on the throne that he is beyond our ability to wrap our brains around that he is transcendent he's big he's almighty he's great but we also believe that God is love. And at the heart of someone who is loving, he is self-revealing. He's sharing. He loves his creation. He loves us. He wants us to know him. And so throughout the Old Testament, throughout redemptive history, he has revealed himself. He has veiled himself. And of course, God, if he wants to, as Jay Smith always says, of course, he can appear in the flesh. So that's exactly what he did. Ultimately, he sent his very heart into the world his his essence into the world his son if we want to use that term which is what the bible and and he was on the earth in front of us while also being on the throne and of course god's able to do that and in fact if you say that god is not able to do that which is what islam says then you have an impotent inferior god an emotionally inferior god it really boils mm-hmm. down to that mm-hmm. and that's worth saying okay so i'm sorry
0: No, I mean, I'm excited about this. And, uh, you know, uh, we have about five minutes for this uh, podcast. Before we continue with this, I have a quick question for you. How do the Jews or the rabbis today see the fulfillment of that Son of Man? Are they looking for the Messiah of their own understanding Or are they reinterpreting this? So what's
1: interesting is, for example, Mamamides, one of the great sages, Jewish sages of history, he said Daniel 7 is talking about the Messiah. Most Jews, rabbis today will say it's not. And the problem is, again, in ancient times, the Jews, it's clearly talking about the Messiah, is you have today what is called reactionary theology. Where the rabbis say, well, the Christians say this, therefore we say just the opposite. And they deny what their own prophets clearly indicated. So let let me get, I've been talking a bit about the pillar. Okay, when Jesus comes along and he talks about his return, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in one passage he says Jesus says he will come in the clouds. Another one he says he will come in a cloud. Another gospel says he will come on the clouds. He's reflecting the language of Yahweh himself in the pillar from the story of the Exodus. And Jesus consistently cites two Old Testament texts. One is Daniel 7, because he says, when the Son of Man comes in the glory of his Father. Um, and then the other one is Zechariah 12. And This is very important. He's quoting two Old Testament texts. Zechariah 12 says that all of the tribes of the land will see the one they have pierced. And they will mourn and repent, and the Lord will pour out the spirit of grace and repentance and supplication upon them. And they will each mourn according to their clans, the house of David according to their clan, the house of Levi, the house of Nathan, etc. So it's dealing with the tribes of Israel recognizing their Messiah. Now here's the point. The The definitive manifestation whereby Yahweh has appeared to his people throughout history has been in the form of the pillar of cloud and fire. If you ask any Jew, how do you know that Yahweh is present? It's always he appears in the cloud and the fire. Something is going to happen that will cause the Jews when Jesus returns to recognize the one they have pierced. And it's not simply that he comes back in in the way that Christian art has portrayed him. You know, it's not just that he's this Caucasian hippie, you know, this California surfer on a cloud type of thing, you know, Kind of exaggerating but that's often the way he's portrayed there is something definitively Jewish that will be identifiable about the way he returns because Jesus again cites Zechariah 12 and I would argue that the sign of the coming of the son of man is that in the midst of Israel's darkest hour In the midst of the cosmic signs, the sun goes dark, the moon turns to blood. That when you look at the language that Jesus uses, it clearly ties back to the story of the Exodus. I believe that it will be the pillar of cloud and fire that once again will descend in the presence of them. And they will see the son of man. They will see the one that is like a son of man that is described In Daniel chapter 7, someone who has the anthropomorphic form. And so there's this distinctly Jewish component to it, but there's also this distinctly Christian component. Those crazy goyim, those crazy Gentiles that have been saying that God, Yahweh, took on the form of a man, they won't won't be able to deny it when he comes back in the pillar of cloud and fire. And I believe that is the sign of the Son of Man.
0: Wonderful, brother. Thank you so much. And we have about a minute uh, left for our uh, podcast, Let Us Reason. So at the conclusion of the uh, podcast, I want everyone to stay calm and stay um, basically live on the air for about a minute. We will come back. We'll continue this live stream because we will be doing part two of our podcast. Again, thank you so much, of course, for all of you. Uh, Thank you for your questions. 19th, October I'm not really so sure that Joel have the exact date when Jesus will return if he does he better tell me that first uh, because I will prepare for it faster than you can imagine. but uh we'll deal with that uh, all that to say, thank you for those of you by the way. we have one more patron uh, joined us, so we are you know looking now for uh ninety five if you wish ninety five so uh, we will continue uh, uh, basically mentioning that to you. We hope that you will become part of our patrons uh, or our partner team. And of course, uh, we thank you for being here with us. This is Al Fadi, and uh, you've been listening to Let Us Reason podcast and also a live stream on our Facebook page and on our YouTube channel, Zero International. Until we meet you again on the next podcast, have a blessed day.